This is a cool story, yeah? Do you like this story? It's exciting. This is exciting. You know, the, early in the Gospels, it's going really well. <laughs> you know, this is that Galilean springtime we, we talked about where, where Jesus is, is well-received every place except his hometown, and great things are happening. And do you hear all of the excitement kind of uh, the like key words in, in here that, that tell us how exciting this was? Like, there were great crowds, right? And the crowds were pressing in. You just picture being at a, at a really good rock show where the crowds are pressing in. It's like all tight. You know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, and just having that like energy of people and the excitement. And what are they there for? They're here. They're there to hear like God's word preached by the son of God himself. How exciting is this? And then there's this idea of the, the great catch, right? In fact, maybe in, in, uh, in, some of your Bibles, it would say something like that that's what this story is. It's the story of the great catch. There's this thing where these fishermen who have been unsuccessful all night get so many fish that it almost sinks their boat. It's exciting stuff. And yet all of that is not the point of the story at all. And I would really like for us, I'm just going to tell you in case, you know, you, you need to doze off during the message. It's okay. It's always fine. Yeah, but here's the big idea. This story is not about fish. This story is about Jesus. This story is not a story of how Peter, this is a story about Peter finding the thing he had been searching for his whole life, like a treasure buried in a field, like a pearl of great price, that he had been, if you're a fisherman, you work your whole life and hope that sometime you could have a, a, a great day on the water where you pull in so many. He didn't even have a boat big enough for this many fish. Him and his buddies didn't have a boat big enough. And at the end of the story, he's just going to walk away and not look back at the fish at all. This story is not about fish. This story is not even about, I hear this preached sometimes or I read it like, hey, if you are in need of a miracle, Peter had a miracle. That's great. I love miracles. We believe in modern day miracles. God can totally do whatever God feels like doing. We don't want to limit him. And at the same time, we're going to make a big deal today that the point of the miracle is Jesus, not Jesus' point is the miracle. You with me? Let's make this a day where we wrestle with things like, what does it really mean to have faith? What exactly is the point of a miracle? What exactly are we seeing in Christ? And what happens when in our life, I think, you know, as good a day as this was for Peter, there's a moment in this day where Peter's at an all-time low. The kind of all-time low that you and I are going to have to be in if we're going to fully follow Jesus. When you actually see God, and then you actually take a look at yourself, you're going to have an experience like Peter had that day too. So let's, let's think about some big ideas. The story uh, teaches itself. You, you've heard the story. Let's, let's make this the first big idea. Why not try obedience? I mean, if if you are looking for a way to interact with God, if you are looking at this and going, wow, if only I could have these miraculous experiences with Jesus, if only I could know Jesus, if only I could know God like, like these disciples did, just a, I'm just going to take a wild flyer. Why don't we start with obedience? That's where Peter starts. Let's not make this into a formula. I want to be very clear about that. This is not like, 
Here's how to get a miracle. In fact, the point of the story is not the great catch of fish at all. This is all about Jesus. And the instruction isn't about how to receive a miracle in your life. There's no formula. That's not how that works. But this is about an invitation to follow Jesus. Let me just ask you, and I'll say this over and over in the next 30 minutes. Do you want a big pile of fish or do you want to follow Jesus? (laughs) Ross wants a fish. It's not to eliminate the importance of Peter's obedience, but, but, pri- but, com- but coming prior to him, uh, really seeing who Jesus is, is going to be his obedience. Let's not take, make too much of it or too light of it. In Peter's life, his life did not change until he obeyed Jesus in a way that even didn't make sense to him. And this happens a lot in the Christian life. And I want to see, I want to point out how this happened in Peter's life. Faithful obedience without full understanding is going to be part of the Christian life. In fact, I would say that faithful obedience without full understanding is one of the most consistent parts of the Christian life. We're all familiar with Proverbs 3. Proverbs, this book of just wonderful advice. You just want to live a better life? Just read the Proverbs and read things like, don't trust your own understanding. You understand so much about the world. And you might understand so much about the world pretty well. But if you are going to, you're going to need more than you are able to understand. So don't just lean on your understanding, but rather give yourself fully to God. Men, this is a stories that come up all over. You think of all the Old Testament stories. You see Moses at the Red Sea. Moses, pick up your stick. Pick up my stick. We've got people following us. There's a sea in front of us. Do you see the obedience? Like we all read these stories knowing what's going to happen and we go, Moses like knew what, well, you know, he knew he would raise his staff and the waters would part. I don't know at what point Moses knew this, but it's surely there were moments of, how about like send ninjas or give us weapons, God? We don't need to pick up my stick. And yet there's this, there's this obedience that, that is not, Full understanding, but, and I'll give away the punchline here, it's not fully understanding the situation, it's fully trusting God. And it might be that you can do one or the other. You can make your life's decisions based on what you know of the circumstances around you, or you can just fully trust God and do what he says, even if sometimes it makes less sense than other times. Man, you think about Joshua walking around that wall, right? So seven days and then seven times and the band goes first? Got a different idea, God. How about we send the warriors out front? No, I'll send the worship team out there. <laughs> Sacrifice the musicians, I suppose. <laughs> that might be the best idea. Surely, this is a story of obedience. I want to redefine faith as not believing that God will do what you want him to do, but believing that following God is the best way. You think about Naaman. We talked about that story a couple of weeks ago. You talk, think about Naaman dipping in the river where he is pretty, probably pretty convinced this is a dumb idea. We have better rivers where I'm from. I'm dip in this dumb little Jordan River a few times. And yet it's obedience without full understanding. And let's not get the wrong idea. The Christian life is not about decision-making with ignorance or without understanding, but it is about decision-making based on who gave the instruction, not what the perceived outcome might be. You see, in Peter's life, and you think about 
He has good reasons to not obey. Jesus is not a fisherman. Jesus is a builder. Jesus is a preacher. Jesus might be a lot of things. Maybe he's been on the water before, but this is not his specialty. And do you see where they are in the day? Peter has already had a, a long day's work. Sometimes fishermen get skunked. He, he was out all day, fish, 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 no fish in the boat. So what has he already done? He's already cleaned his nets, right? While Jesus is preaching, the fishermen are cleaning their nets. That's an ordeal. That's not, the, uh, that, that takes some time and energy and muscles. He's already gone through putting everything away for the day. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you push the boat out and lower the nets? He's going to have to redo all of that. This doesn't make any sense. But do you see what Peter says? Jesus doesn't say, hey, trust me, there's going to be fish. In fact, I imagine from Peter's perspective, this could have gone a lot of different ways. There could have been a lot that maybe this is just a teaching. Jesus is going to say, now pull up the nets. See, sometimes the world's hard. I don't know. He could have, there could have been anything going on from Peter's perspective. But what happens is this amazing, great catch. But Peter's response is so profound. He says, Jesus, we have been out all day and caught nothing. Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. Do you know you're allowed to tell Jesus? I don't see how this works. I've tried everything. You're allowed to pray that. I have tried everything. But then Peter uses a word that you need to use too, and it's master. But master, because you say it, I'm going to do it. Faith is not about believing the impossible would happen, will happen. The impossible, impossible stuff totally happens. We're all for it. Like, pray for a miracle. I'm all for I'll pray with you. Got no problem with that. But faith is not believing that God will do impossible things that you want him to do. Rather, faith is obeying when you don't understand what's about to happen. Of course, the impossible is no sweat for Jesus. That's not the point of this at all. That's not the right definition of faith. Tr faith is about trusting and obeying. And I do hear frequently things like, you have to believe God for your miracle. And I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. I have mixed feelings. It's uneasy territory for me. But how about this? You have to believe that God will sustain you no matter what. You have to believe that a life of obedience submitted to Christ, a life of dying to yourself and picking up your cross and following him is by far the best life, whatever the earthly results might be. Peter isn't saying, Jesus, I'll obey you if you bring a, a great catch of fish. And it's, you know, we can't be too dogmatic about any of these miracle stories because there's some forms, it's a genre of storytelling. There are some, some things that are um, that are kind of common among miracle stories, but there's also some things that stick out. Sometimes people come to Jesus with a specific request. My son is sick. In this case, Peter's just trying to go home. Peter isn't saying, Jesus, I'll, be, I'll obey you if you bring a great catch of fish. Peter is just saying, Jesus, I don't understand, but I will obey. Hey, Christians, you know what needs to be one of the most easy, frequent things in our vocabulary, in our prayer vocabulary, and also in the way we live our lives, is Jesus, I don't fully understand this, but I'm going to obey. You remember the, and well, and here's a truth that, that I think is important. Reluctant and doubtful obedience is, support, is superior to sweet talk and disobedience. 
I've been that, that, that guy in my life where with my mouth, oh, all I want is to obey Jesus. But my life tells a different story. Do you remember the story, that the, the parable that Jesus tells about, about two brothers? One, the father tells both brothers to go out and work in the field. And one says, yes, I will totally work for you. But he doesn't do it. And the other one says, I'm not doing that. You can't make me. But then he has a change of heart and he obeys. And Jesus goes, which one of these is the faithful son? Could you trade difficult obedience for easy faith? Could you trade, um, God, I just know that everything's going to go my way if I trust in you. Could you trade that in and instead say, God, whatever you have, I don't have to understand. It doesn't have to go my way. I know that you are good. I've seen the empty tomb. I have plenty of proof. I will obey you. And make that your definition of faith. You know, practically, we'd have to probably have individual conversations and say, well, how does this work out in my life right now? How do I do this? How do I be a person whose definition of faith involves obedience? Obedience even kicking and screaming, right? Even like sometimes, God, this is super hard and I'm not digging it and it's difficult, but I'm still going to obey. How do we do that? Well, sometimes it it has to do with forgiveness. Is there somebody you just got to forgive? Not because they deserve it, not because God's going to work some great work, but because Jesus died for you, you're willing to obey. You're willing to forgive. Sometimes there is a sin in our lives that just has to be put to death. We have to be humble. We have to pray a ton. We have to, uh, we have to, to do the things we know um, uh, outline the Christian life. Sometimes we have to order the practical parts of our life around worship, our schedule activities. I'm just going to make you a priority, God. Not that, not that I fully understand why, but just I'm just going to make you a priority out of obedience. To reorder your life, that the point of your life is the same thing that becomes the point of Peter's life, and that's to make disciples. I don't really think the difficult part in any of our lives who've been walking with the Lord for a while is understanding what things we might do to obey Jesus. I think it's difficult to obey Jesus because we don't see what the outcome is going to be. And we have to, we have to define faith as obedience even if I don't know what's going to happen. That trust. Jesus, I trust that your way is better than my way even if I don't understand it right now. Let's, let's make another point of this story. Miracles are first to reveal something about Jesus. Um, big piles of fish, if you're a fisherman, are really exciting. Really exciting. All of the miracle stories in the New Testament are so exciting. Can you imagine a guy water skiing without a boat? Can you imagine water turning into wine? Can you imagine people going from the verge of death or death itself and getting up and, and making you a snack? I mean, this, we've, we've already saw that, ha- we saw that happen last week, right? The miracle stories are so exciting and that it is very easy to focus on this great thing has happened. But if we do that, we have missed the point of the miracle stories entirely. The point of the miracle stories is never the pile of fish. It's always Jesus. When we see miracles in the Bible, when we see miracles in history, even when we see miracles modern day, it is of course natural 
for, our, for us to focus our eyes, our attention on the miracle itself. You can imagine a, a, a you know, community of fishermen seeing these two boats that are about to sink. Where would their attention be? But I want to point out to you that while everybody else might be running to the fish, Peter is running to Jesus. Because the point of the miracle was never just God's provision. The point of the miracle was the supremacy and greatness of Christ. Miracles are first to reveal something about Jesus. Peter looked at the miracle and ran to Jesus. Verse 8 said, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Immediately, Peter knows what this, this day in his life is about. He does not clean his nets. He does not organize the fish. He does not take him to market and then go, I'm going to have to get back to that Jesus guy someday. No, Peter receives. I don't even know if we would say Peter received this. Peter abandons these fish immediately. But Peter has met the Savior. And I guess the challenge for you and I would be, has God done enough that our eyes would be off of everything else, that our eyes would also not be on what we want God to do for us, that we would just run to Him, fall down at His knees. We can't teach this passage as a blueprint for us to receive a miracle. Peter's eyes were not on the fish. Ours can't be either. And you know, I, I also know that there are things in all of our lives that hurt. We would love for God to do big, amazing things we don't understand um, that would make our lives better. We've got people that are sick that we'd love to see healed. We've got, you know, there's financial woes we'd love to see solved. There's, there's you know, relationships that are broken that we would love to see, that love to see fixed instantly in a miraculous way. But, but the real thing to ask is, right now, without any of those things happening, do you have enough evidence to fall down at Jesus' knees right now? Is the empty tomb enough? Is the story of Peter enough? Is the testimony of your life? Man, if the only understandable thing that happens, that, that God does for me the rest of my life is intimacy with him, is relationship with him, just to follow him and to enter into his presence someday, that is worth falling at his knees right now. Amen. Miracles, all miracles in the Bible are not about our provision, but about God's greatness. I would like to make a, 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 a very obvious observation. Every person who received a, a miracle in the New Testament is dead. Something else happened, and they didn't get better. All the people that were healed got sick again. Lazarus died again. The point was never the provision of these people. The point was the greatness of Christ. Like, I hope that nothing would make me happier than God doing amazing things in our midst. Wouldn't it be great if we would tell stories of, and we do, of course, we all have stories of how God has worked miraculously in our lives. Many of us, that's why we're here. God has proven how much he loves us in palpable, tangible ways. And yet, the point is always, I love Jesus so much, I'm just going to follow him forever. 
But look, but Peter doesn't go from the big catch straight to following Jesus. There's something in the middle that I don't want you to miss. I think is a huge, uh, a huge part of the point of this story. Because following Jesus begins with profound humility. And here's the problem with the idea that what you know, God's work is in our life is primarily miraculous provision is, is that it neglects this idea. That kind of version of Christianity is, is a version of Christianity that's so grant-oriented, right? God, why don't you do what I want you to do? But I would like to open your eyes again. I would like you to think about, to meditate for a moment on this idea that when Peter got the big catch of fish, he didn't pay attention to the big catch of fish. What it did was not think, wow, I'm a great fisherman. Wow, I can pay my bills. Wow, this I'll go down in history as the greatest fisherman in Capernaum's history. But rather, it revealed his own depravity to him. He falls at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He has called Jesus Master. Now he calls Jesus Lord. And as he sees the greatness of Christ, man, the whole thing has got to be about the greatness of Christ. It is never like God will provide for you. That's just, he's a loving father who knows how to give give good gifts to his kids. That is absolutely evident. And yet the whole point of everything God is doing in our lives is just that we might understand his greatness. And this is normative when, when people have interactions with God in the Bible. You know, I, about every other week, I turn our attention to Isaiah 6. It's my favorite passage. I love it so much as Isaiah um, is, you know, goes chapter 5, Isaiah is going, woe is you, and woe is you, and woe is you, and woe is you, and he's right every time. Isaiah is in a, a, a filthy society who treats people terribly, and he tells them all, hey, you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this wrong. Then he sees God high and lifted up. He comes face to face with the greatness of God, and he does not feel like telling other people that they're bad anymore. Rather, he falls on his face and says, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. And this is the experience Peter is having. Peter doesn't look at the at the big pile of fish and go, ha ha, I'm saved. He looks at the big pile of fish and goes, get away from me, I'm bad. I don't deserve to be in your presence, Jesus. And that's normative in the Christian life. That we might see our own depravity, humility, Man, there's a, a whole, I don't know, genre of writing and blogosphere stuff and whatever that is just trying to convince us that we are enough. Man, you are enough. You've got what it takes. You've got the stuff. Can I tell you, you don't accept in Christ. All of this, like this idea that me in and of myself, I am enough. Man, what a terrible thing to tell a person. How about this? You need to be so enamored with God. You need to see God so clearly that you understand your own depravity. You understand that you might be the biggest dog in the fight, but you're just the biggest dog in the fight. That's all you are. Like, it is okay. It is good. It is healthy for us to see the holiness, the greatness of God and go, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. It's okay for us to see the miracles of the New Testament and go, I don't deserve to walk with Jesus. 
That's the experience Peter has. And I think that it's so important that we have that experience because of what happens next. Do you see what Jesus says to Peter? He says, do not be afraid. Weird thing to say. After just preaching wonderful, the, the people are just enamored, people are crowding in, and Jesus is preaching the word, and, and everybody loves it. And then this big miracle happens. Peter falls on his face, and, and Jesus says, oh, don't be afraid. What do you think he's afraid of? He's afraid because he sees you know, God for the first time clearly. And it's like a mirror that tells him who he is clearly. You know, I might pick up my guitar and noodle around and be like, hey, hey, hey. and then an actual guitar player might come into the room. You know what I'm talking about? There's a kid named Christone Kingfish Ingram. Oh my gosh, that kid could play the guitar. Like, no, if he walked in the room right now, I'd like, take my guitar off. I'd be like, I have never seen that guitar in my life. You can't, you can't make me play it. Because in the presence of an actual musician, I go, jeez, who am I? This is the experience that Peter's having with his whole life. I just think humility is so important for Christian folk. I just think if we're going to understand, if we're going to grow in faith, if we're going to understand who Jesus really is, if our life is going to, if we're going to mature in him, it has to be from a posture of humility. Not, God, you better explain all this to me, but God, just woe is me and can I just follow you? And then Jesus says, do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? Before follow me, Jesus does not want to be the kind of rabbi, to be the kind of leader that, that has followers who just recognize his greatness and they're just terrified of him, so they're just following in fear. But rather, he wants to get down and go, hey, don't be afraid. Follow me. Peter's afraid of his own sin, and when you see God for who he really is, you will be overwhelmed with a sense of your own sin too. Peter went from seeing himself like the expert fisherman, Jesus, I, we've been out all day. We know there's no fish here. To only seeing his lack, to only seeing his unworthiness. But Jesus sees something else in him entirely. So all this stuff about like, hey, you're enough. No, but you're a child of God. Stop looking for your value and what you can do and produce. You are not what you can produce. You are not what you do. You are a beloved child of God. <coughs> you're a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're a son, an heir with Jesus of God. Like, like instead of walking around with pride and, oh, I'm the best fisherman, how about you just watch Jesus go, watch me be a fisherman. Now fall on your face and follow me. So Peter went from seeing himself to the expert fisherman to only seeing his lack. And I think that's normative in the Christian life and that you and I should pursue that too. That we would not with pride have a list of reasons why we're good enough for God or the best in the world or, or the top of the heap in our culture, our society, but rather have, a, have a, a good understanding of our own depravity so that Jesus can pick up our chin and go, don't be afraid. You're mine. 
Stop looking for your value to be in, in catching fish. Your value was never in that. Rather, let me tell you who you are. Now, you're a catcher of people. Again, this is normative. Do you remember we're talking about Isaiah 6 and Isaiah falling down and woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then the, the next thing that happens is, is the angel comes with some coals and there's this redemption scene where, where there's this imagery of Isaiah's sin being burned away. And then God goes, who will I send? And Isaiah goes, send me. <coughs> Identity as a depraved human. And then exultion in understanding how much God loves us. And then answering the call to follow him. That's normative in the Christian life. Jesus' words are do not be afraid. So I'd like to talk to you for a second if you're wrecked by your own sin. I know we all wore button-down shirts and feel all we're trying to hide it from each other that, that we have stuff that God hasn't, you know, sin that God hasn't taken away or whatever. And we pray all the time, God, would you give me, um, you know, would you take this away, take this attitude away, take this behavior away. But if you are racked with guilt, if you are in here and you just go depravity, I feel it all the time. I've been faking it for years, but I feel that depravity. I feel my not enoughness. Then I'd like to address that for a second. If you take Jesus seriously, all of us really get a good look at yourself. At some point, you will wrestle with the idea that in no way are you good enough to be with Jesus. Jesus' words to you would be, don't be afraid. It's not about you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how good a fisherman you are. It's about how much I love you. He is more than the one that can bring a big catch of fish. He is the one that can redeem even the darkest parts of you. I wonder what Peter was thinking about as he confessed that he was a sinful man. That sounds personal, doesn't it? That doesn't sound like Peter's speaking in, in generalities. It sounds like G he sees the power of God and he goes, oh no, I bet he knows what I'm really like. You remember that demon-possessed man that we talked about last week, a couple of weeks ago, and he was described, Luke described him as unclean. You know, somebody can be unclean but not be sinful. For example, if you touched a dead body, there was nothing sinful about that, but still you would be ceremonially unclean. That's not what Peter says here. Peter knows he is more than just unclean. He is sinful. He has missed God's best in profound ways. He has, you know, volitionally done things. And when you get a good look at God, you'll know those things in your life too. And many have walked away. Many have found it too much to bear to see their own broken heart in light of the greatness of God because we see God and we teach the greatness of God and we teach the reality of sin, but we forget to teach that don't be afraid. It's not about what you've done, it's about how much God loves you. The pile of fish is not to say, God wanted to give you a pile of fish. The pile of fish is to say, this is how powerful I am. It's not about you and your work, and it never was. It's about me calling you, and I can do it. Why do we run from that feeling? 
that burden of guilt. Does Jesus ever respond to guilt, to, to uh, an understanding of depravity with anger? Does he, can you think of a time in, in the New Testament where he does? Does he ever respond by rejecting anyone? On the contrary, it's just those with religious pride that he lays into. When our eyes are on Jesus, it's going to bring us to a moment like Peter is having. And I would pray for that, that you would understand what's true about you. And that moment leads us to moments of freedom and love as we hear Jesus say, don't be afraid. I love you just like you are. Now follow me. If you need to fall at Jesus' feet and confess, know that you'll be met with love. If there are things in your life that feel bad about, if, I don't, if nobody has to tell you about sin in your life, you know full well. And by the way, this is the message for our neighbors too. Not just that you're a sinner, but that there's, your sin is not an not a obstacle to a relationship with Jesus. His love is bigger. But if you're here today and you're struggling with guilt, if you know, as you consider God, that aside from self-righteousness, you don't have a lot of righteousness in and of yourself, would you know that genuine confession is met with love, not with condemnation? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We still make mistakes. As we come to him, we are not met with condemnation and vitriol we're met with love and forgiveness so if you need to come to him and let it go fall at his knees today's the day it's a great day to say yes to jesus lastly the point of the story said jesus is better than all the fish in the world I'm fine with teaching this passage as a text for radical discipleship. You hear it preached like that a lot, and I'm absolutely fine with it. In fact, why, one of the reasons I haven't focused on this a lot today is because I assume that you've heard and read that before, that in order to follow Jesus, you have to leave everything, right? He leaves his nets, he leaves his dad, he leaves his business, the whole thing, and he follows Jesus. Amen. If you've got to leave something, leave it. You've got to leave everything. Peter leaves it all, and yes, you will have your entire life's purpose redefined. Go from... Go from, uh, you know, leader of people to catcher of people, right? The, you're the, the gospel, the great commission, the, the commission to fill the earth, that will, uh, with disciples, will redefine your whole life. But, but I, so I'm fine teaching this passage like that, but I'm not fine teaching this passage like Peter left all of that and it was an even trade. Peter had the greatest day in his career you could possibly have, and it was no argument that following Jesus was way better. See, when we teach radical discipleship, we teach it like we would like we're losing a little, right? Like, hey, you got to you got to give up everything and follow Jesus and it's going to be hard and it's going to be No, it's the pearl of great price. Leave it all. It is the best thing you will ever do. How do you feel about a life of love and peace and joy? following the loving creator, savior, who loves you and leads you still. That's not losing. It's winning a lot. Whatever obedience Jesus calls us to do, do it. It's a good trade. 
Die to yourself, live for Christ. Peter saw in the fish the power of God. And the problem with an improper view of miracles or stories like this is that it robs us of the incredible opportunity we all have to lead joyful lives following Jesus. Instead of going, how do I get my big pile of fish? How about you can follow the same Savior that Peter followed that day? And Peter didn't even take advantage of the big pile of fish. Peter didn't even say, I'm going to sell this. We're going to buy a new house. We're going to have a big party. Then maybe I'll follow Jesus. He was like, greatest miracle I've ever seen. Oh, woe is me. And follow you? Heck yeah. Is it oversimplifying it to say, following Jesus is the best life? I don't know what you think would make for the best life, but following Jesus is the best life. Peter's not looking at the fish and saying, man, that pile of fish sure looks good. <laughs> and there's some neat miracles in the New Testament. People coming back to life. Even in those stories, it's never, well, let's follow Lazarus or let's figure out how to, how to make this happen on our own. It's always eyes on Jesus. The tomb is empty. That is enough. Most folks are probably not one miraculous catch away from running to Jesus anyway. Most folks pray for fish, and then when God provides fish, they pray for more fish. So how about right now we recognize that we have more than enough evidence to fall at Jesus' feet and just obey him. That it would be wonderful to see great miracles. I pray for them. I trust God can do them. But our eyes, may they never be on empty nets or full nets, but only on Jesus. So let me conclude just by asking you this. What would you have to leave to follow Jesus fully right now? Because this is a story about radical discipleship. This is a story about what would you... So, so if you had to give up some sin in your life, if you had to give up some idols, if you had to, if you had to give up some, some relationships you know aren't good for you, if you, had to, if you had to say no to some things to say yes to Jesus, would you feel like you're having a bad trade? What doubts? What fears? What hurts? Oof. Some of us, that's the hardest thing. Like, I, you can't let me, you can't make me let go of my hurt. Being bitter is the only thing that's holding me together. Man, what would you have to give up right now to follow Jesus fully? You okay with saying that'd be a good deal? That we want more than just a pile of fish. What we want is a life-giving relationship with the creator and savior of the world. Why don't you close your eyes? I'll pray for you. And I'll just give you a minute to spend some time with God. And, and if, you have, um, if you have been in, in a place where, where you've been treating God like he hasn't given you enough, would you just confess to that and say, God, I don't need the miracle. All I need is you. And if you are racked by guilt today, would you hear, like picture him in your mind, hear Jesus saying, Ah, don't be afraid. I love you. 
If you need to say yes to following Jesus for the first time, you're not a follower of His, and today's the day. You could right now say, Jesus, all I want is you. Forgive my sins. I'm dying to myself. I will follow you wherever you take me. And if you are a follower of Jesus, but there's some things you know full well you need to leave, would you commit to leaving them?